Well, let me ask you, if you would, to open up in your Bibles to the book of Exodus. The book of Exodus, as we continue working our way verse by verse through this uh, very important, very rich, very wonderful book of the Bible. And this morning we come to Exodus chapter 7 and to the first of the ten plagues. These are plagues that God is going to bring upon the people of Egypt because they've oppressed his people. They will not let them go. And it's important to say from the outset that these plagues were not magic tricks. Moses was no illusionist like David Copperfield or Chris Angel or David Blaine. These were acts of judgment. Sober judgment performed by God upon the people of Egypt to show that he is the true God and to bend their wills to obedience to him. As we embark on this study of the ten plagues, two things ought to happen. First, we ought to learn a great deal. There is a lot of wonderful truth in Exodus 7 through Exodus 12 as these plagues unfold one after another. As I've looked at others who have handled these great passages, I've I've been a bit surprised at how many have just kind of glossed through them as though there is little to learn here. As I hope to show you in the coming weeks, these passages are full of meaning, not only about things that happened in the past, but, but about right here, right now, our present day, as well as the future and what's ahead. But even more important than the head knowledge that I hope we will receive The primary purpose of these passages is to cause us to stand in awe of God. These passages should remind us of something that we need to be reminded of regularly. And that is our need to tremble before God. Yes, these verses speak to our minds, but they also speak to our hearts. And they teach us that our God is a mighty God. A God to be revered. Indeed, a God to be feared. Since the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, there's good reason to believe that God might use these passages to grow us up in wisdom and to make us holy. And so I'm praying that God will do big things for us over these next few weeks. And I would ask you to join me in praying that same prayer. Now let's come to the first plague, and we read it beginning in Exodus 7, verse 14. So Exodus 7, beginning in verse 14. This is the very word of God. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning as he is going out to the water. Stand on the bank of the Nile to meet him. And take in your hand the staff that turned into a serpent. And you shall say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, sent me to you, saying, Let my people go that they may serve me in the wilderness. But so far you have not obeyed. 
Thus says the Lord, by this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, with the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water that is in the Nile, and it shall turn into blood. The fish in the Nile shall die, and the Nile will stink, and the Egyptians will grow weary of drinking water from the Nile. And the Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, Take your staff and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over their rivers, their canals, and their ponds, and all their pools of water, so that they may become blood. And there shall be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, even in vessels of wood and in vessels of stone. Moses and Aaron did as the Lord commanded. In the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants, he lifted up the staff and struck the water in the Nile, And all the water in the Nile turned into blood. And the fish in the Nile died. And the Nile stank. So that the Egyptians could not drink water from the Nile. There was blood throughout all the land of Egypt. But the magicians of Egypt did the same by their secret arts. So Pharaoh's heart remained hardened. And he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Pharaoh turned and went to his house. And he did not take even this to heart. And all the Egyptians dug along the Nile for water to drink, for they could not drink the water of the Nile. And seven full days passed after the Lord had struck the Nile. Now, I want to begin, uh, we're going to have a, a, a system, uh, a common pattern in the way we unpack each of these ten plagues. And with each one, we'll start by making some observations, basic observations from the passage itself. So let's begin there with five observations about this plague. And the first is this. God introduces this plague by saying, by this you shall know that I am the Lord. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, Jehovah, Yahweh. We've learned before, that's verse 17. We've learned before that this is the name of God. Yahweh, Jehovah, I am who I am. We've also learned that that name had been hijacked by the Egyptians. They were now using that name, both of their chief god, Re, sometimes called Ra, and that they were also using that name of Pharaoh himself. In the minds of the Egyptians, the I am was Re, and the human incarnation of Re on earth, Pharaoh. But God is saying to Pharaoh, by this you shall know who the real I am is. In other words, the issue in these ten plagues is this issue. Who is the true, ultimate God? Second, second observation. Note that this plague was brought about by the staff of God. By the staff of God. This is that staff that God gave to Moses. Actually, it was his shepherd's staff, but it was consecrated by God at the burning bush. In verse 17, God says that he will strike the water with the staff that is in his hand, as if God had a hand. But in this moment, the hand of God was the hand of Aaron. Under Moses' authority, Aaron takes this shepherd's staff, and he uses it to strike the Nile, and the water turns to blood. Using the staff shows that the power to do this was not in Aaron. 
And the power to do this was not in Moses. This is the power of God whose staff this is. Pharaoh had his own sacred staffs, his own rods, representing divine power. But as we saw last time that we were here in Exodus, his religious rods, his staffs cannot compare with what God does through this very simple shepherd's staff of Moses that has now been entrusted to Aaron. Third observation. Note that this plague was not life-threatening, but a major irritation to the Egyptians. Not life-threatening, but a major irritation to the Egyptians. That's, That's important to note. Verse 24 tells us that the people of Egypt dug along the banks of the Nile to find water because the water in the river itself was undrinkable. And this verse explains to us why the people of Egypt didn't begin to die of dehydration. God did not take away all of their water supply. Rather, he appears to have turned all of the surface water in Egypt to blood while sparing the water that could be dug up or found in wells. And so this plague was not life-threatening, but it was obviously a major annoyance. The Nile River was the source of fish to the Egyptians, which was a staple of their diet. And and through this plague, all the fish in the Nile River died, and the river began to stink. Since all of Egyptian life centered around the Nile River, there was certainly no one in the kingdom who didn't find their lives affected by this plague. Can you imagine what this must have just looked like? Friends, the Nile River is not a small river. (laughs) The Nile River is very large. Imagine this giant river flowing with blood. Think about how much fear and confusion must have overcome the people of Egypt. This was the river that they traveled in. This was the river that they fished in. This was the river that some swam and bathed in. And here it is now. It's a river of flowing blood. We will see that the ten plagues increase in their severity. Each plague will be a bit worse than the ones that came before it until the tenth plague comes and is by far the worst of all. There was already a miracle of God before this one. We we saw earlier in chapter 7 how God turned his staff, the rod in the hand of Aaron, into a snake and how that snake gobbled up the other snakes of Pharaoh's magicians. But that one isn't considered a plague. We don't count that as one of the plagues because no one was affected or hurt by it except a few snakes, right? Nobody nobody was, was physically hurt by that. That was simply a sign to Pharaoh. Now, however, the signs are true plagues. People's lives are being affected. And as the plagues progress, the judgments of God will become more and more severe upon the oppressors of his people. As Doug Stewart says, this first plague was a shot across the bow of the Egyptians. Had they repented and obeyed God at this point, They could have avoided so much future suffering. But they would not repent. And their leader, Pharaoh, would not repent. And so the plagues will continue and they will get worse and worse. Fourth observation. 
Natural explanations do not account for this plague. Natural explanations do not account for this plague. I remember even as a boy in Northampton County, sitting in the den with this, you know, big TVs used to be back then, the big wooden TVs, watch, watching this show on television where experts were trying to show that the ten plagues were actu- actually naturally occurring phenomenon. Uh, One common theory about this first plague is that the water didn't actually turn to blood. It just became red like blood. And the argument, and it's actually a pretty popular one, is that this particular year, the Nile River must have flooded more heavily than usual further upriver, gathering up more soil and sediment than normal from its banks, which were then carried up into Egypt. And all this extra dirt made the Nile River look red, red like blood. According to this theory, the dirty water then poisoned the frogs. The frogs then scattered away from the river, explaining the second plague. The frogs all died and became a breeding ground for mosquitoes and flies, which explains the third plague and the fourth plague. And then... The poisoned mosquitoes bit livestock and bit people, which made them sick, explaining the fifth plagues and the sixth plagues. Now, they can't get any further than that because it's hard to explain how that would cause a hailstorm. And then it's hard to explain how that would cause a complete three-day eclipse, as we will see in the ninth plague, total darkness. This natural explanation of this first plague doesn't explain why all the fish died. It certainly doesn't explain verse 19. Because verse 19 seems to indicate that water that had been taken from the river before and was now sitting in homes in wooden or stone jars was suddenly turned to blood in those very jars. And also, how do we get around the fact that in verse 20... It doesn't say that the water became like blood. It says all the water in the Nile turned into blood. This was no natural occurrence. This was an act of Almighty God. Fifth observation. Fifth observation. The magicians were able to imitate this plague, but not reverse it. The magicians were able to imitate this plague, but not reverse it. So so Pharaoh already has a heart that is rebelling against God, and all he needs is some justification, any justification at all, not to submit to God. And so he calls his magicians, and his magicians serve the gods of Egypt. They're, They're religious priests, and he asks them to show that they can match what Moses and Aaron have done. Now, it's interesting. What Pharaoh really needs is for this plague to be reversed. (laughs) What would have really shown the power of the Egyptian gods would have been for these magicians to turn the blood back into water. But they can't do that. So apparently they gathered some water from a well or from digging along the bank, some water that was not blood. They got some water together and the magicians imitated this same plague. Now, I have no problem at all believing that they did this supernaturally. Um, We have seen before that these pagan gods of Egypt, served by these magicians, were in fact demons with real demonic power. Deuteronomy makes that clear. And though their imitation was likely on a much, much smaller scale than what God had done through Moses and Aaron, 
It was enough. They were able to imitate in such a way that Pharaoh's heart found the justification he needed to go on rejecting God. It doesn't take much for a sinful heart to find reason to justify his sin. And therefore, despite this astounding plague, Pharaoh's heart remained hardened and he would not listen to the command to let God's people go. And this is exactly playing out the way God had told Moses ahead of time that it would play out. Now, as we study these ten plagues, we're going to follow a similar outline for each one. And just as we've done, we'll start at the beginning by making some general observations And then we'll take a few minutes to explain the Egyptian deity, the Egyptian god or gods that is being directly assaulted by that plague. For you see, every one of these plagues is a demonstration by the true God that he and he alone has power over some aspect of nature that the Egyptians thought some god controlled. With each plague, God is dethroning Egyptian gods, proving that he is the true sovereign one who controls what they were thought to control. And so if you'll notice at the bottom of your outline, as we study each plague, we will note some of the many purposes that God is fulfilling through these plagues. And here is the first purpose of these plagues, to show God's supremacy over all other gods. To show God's supremacy over all other gods. The Egyptian called them gods. We know them to be demonic spirits. But the whole point is this. God was more powerful than they. Now where do I get this from? Where do I get this idea that that's what the ten plagues are about? God showing his supremacy over foreign or pagan gods. Well listen to these three passages. One you can turn to because it's just a couple pages away. Exodus 12, 12. Exodus 12, 12. And here's what we read. Exodus 12, 12. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. So God says specifically, That his tenth and final plague will be not only a judgment upon the people of Egypt, but a judgment upon the gods of Egypt. Then if you want to turn a few more pages, look at Exodus 18. Exodus 18, beginning in verse 10. Uh, Here we have the confession of Moses' father-in-law, Jethro. Uh, Jethro is a Midianite priest... He seems to have worshipped the true God, Yahweh, but he worshipped the true God right alongside other lesser pagan gods. He was a pluralist in that way. But listen to what Jethro says after all that God has done in Egypt. Beginning in verse 10, Exodus 18.10, Jethro says, Blessed be the Lord, who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh. And has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that Yahweh, Jehovah, is greater than all gods. Because in this affair they dealt arrogantly with the people. So Jethro now confesses. The ten plagues have happened. The ten plagues are over. And Jethro can say, now I know 
that the God of Abraham, the God of Moses, the Lord is greater than all gods. That's what God is teaching in these plagues. You don't have to turn there, but one final passage that makes this very clear is in the book of Numbers, chapter 33. Uh, There we're being reminded of the Israelites leaving Egypt. And in Numbers 33, verse 3, we're told, They set out from Ramses, that was an Egyptian city, in the first month on the 15th day of the month, on the day after the Passover, the people of Israel went out triumphantly in the sight of all the Egyptians, while the Egyptians were burying all their firstborn, whom the Lord had struck down among them. On their gods also the Lord executed judgments. And so there it is again. Moses wants the people of Israel to remember that the plagues of God were judgments upon the gods of Egypt. Yahweh put these Egyptian gods in their place. With every play, God is dishonoring the gods of Egypt. He's showing that they are nothing compared to him. These, these spiritual forces have no power over him. He is supreme. He is sovereign. He has all dominion and all authority. There is no power, natural or supernatural, over which God is not supreme. Now, that being said, who is the God of Egypt that is being assaulted by this first plague? Who is the Egyptian God that is being dethroned and embarrassed by this first plague? It appears to be the Egyptian God, Happy. Now, isn't that a great name for a God? Happy, okay? Happy is the God of the Nile. Uh, To be a little more precise, Happy is the God who controls the annual flooding of the Nile. And this made Happy one of the most important gods of Egypt. Remember, picture your, your, your atlas in your mind. Almost all of northern Africa, and especially northeastern Africa, is desert. Egypt is right in the middle of what should be just pure desert. But it's because of the Nile, and particularly because of the annual flooding of the Nile, that Egypt, right there in the Saharan desert, is fruitful and fertile. The Egyptians depended upon the Nile River for food, for fertile ground, for fish, and for waterfowl. They depended upon the Egyptian river for the papyrus they used to make their boats and to make their baskets. They depended upon the Nile for the mud they used to make their bricks and to build their buildings. Everything in Egypt depended on the Nile. If the annual flooding of the Nile was too high, their villages would be destroyed. If the annual flooding of the Nile was too low, famine would result. And since Happy was the god of the Nile... This was the one God that Egyptians especially wanted to keep happy. And so to keep happy happy, priests of this God served him on an island right in the middle of the Nile River. Uh, This island where the priests of happy worshipped happy is known today as Elephantine Island. Maybe because the island appears to be in the shape of an elephant's tusk, or maybe because some of the rocks on the island look similar to elephants. We don't know, but that's the name it's had for centuries, Elephantine Island. Um, This island is in Upper Egypt, 
which is southern Egypt. So this is, this is the strange thing about Egypt. Upper Egypt is southern Egypt. Lower Egypt is northern Egypt because the Nile River runs from south to north, right? So the floodwaters are coming from the south, and then they spread out into Egypt up in the north. Well, this island was in the south of Egypt, and the priests would perform rituals so that Happy would be pleased to send the floodwaters at the right time, though they also prayed that he wouldn't send too much. Um, here they created what's known as the Nilometer, Nilometer, named after the Nile, which was an ancient system for keeping a constant measurement on how high the waters of the river were. Uh, for them, it was really important. What's the water level of the Nile? Don't want it to be too low? Famine. Don't want it to be too high? Disaster. And so they did not worship happy in a temple. Almost all the other Egyptians, Egyptian gods were worshipped in temples, but not this god. They worshipped this god on the island, on the river itself. Uh, you might be interested to know that Egypt continued to rely on the annual flooding of the Nile until the 1960s. And that's when Egypt built what's known today as the Aswan Dam. And now through a system of reservoirs and a system of dams, the government now controls the annual waters of the Nile and when and where the waters flow. And so in a sense, the Egyptian government has now taken the place of what was the role of the Egyptian god, Happy. But of course, the Egyptian government doesn't have ultimate control. It is God who has ultimate control. Uh, He can shut the heavens and he can keep away the rain that replenishes the Nile. Uh, Today, 200 million people rely on the water of the Nile for their everyday lives. 200 million people depend on this river. And right now, their faith is placed in their government, right? Their faith is placed that their government's going to make sure that the water is at the right place at the right time when they need it. And since most of modern Egypt is Muslim, most Egyptians today place their faith in Allah to care for them, and to provide what they need. But the message of this first plague is that it is not Allah, and it is not a government that is the true God of the Nile. It is Yahweh. And he is not only the God of the Nile, but he is the God of all water everywhere. Even water in jars of wood and stone are under his sovereign sway. Mount Hermon, the earth is more than 70% water, and all of it is God's. And he does with it whatever he wills. Jesus, who is God, proved this himself when he walked on water. And when he calls the wind and the waves to be still by the words that he spoke. Yes, even the wind and the waves obeyed him. For many years, the U.S. Navy sang a hymn crying out for God's protection of those who were at sea. It was a Trinitarian hymn that spoke first to the Father, then to the Son, then to the Spirit. And each verse of this Navy hymn showed how ultimately it's God that's sovereign over the water. Just listen to this hymn. Eternal Father, strong to save, whose arm hath bound the restless wave, who bids the mighty ocean deep its own appointed limits keep. Oh, hear us when we cry to thee. For those in peril on the sea. O Christ, whose voice the waters heard and hushed their raging at thy word, who walked on the foaming deep and calm amidst its rage did sleep. 
Oh, hear us when we cry to thee for those in peril on the sea. Most Holy Spirit, who didst brood upon the chaos dark and rude and bid its angry tumult cease and give for wild confusion peace. Oh, hear us when we cry to thee for those in peril on the sea. Mount Hermon, the Egyptians depended for their very lives upon the Nile and they, lo- they were looking to a false god to provide for them. Here's how this applies to us. Where are you looking for your daily needs? Who supplies your daily bread? Who supplies you with all that you need to survive? Are you ultimately dependent upon your employer? Are you dependent upon a government check? Are you counting on a 401k to meet your needs or or insurance, Medicaid, Medicare? Certainly every one of those things can be instruments in the hands of God. But ultimately it is God who holds these things in his hands. Make sure your ultimate trust is in him. Make sure your prayers are directed towards him. Make sure your dependence is upon him because all other powers are subject to him. Now we need to make one more point before we leave this first plague and bring our sermon to an end. Because as we will see, every one of these plagues is prophetic. Each one of these plagues has something to say about the end of the world. As I tried to show you in an earlier message, Revelation, at the end of our Bibles, looks back again and again and again to these plagues in the book of Egypt as pictures, as warnings, as foreshadowings of the kinds of judgments that God is bringing upon this earth in these last days. Remember, Revelation, the last book of the Bible, is an apocalypse, meaning that it uses symbols to teach important truths. And the symbols that the book of Revelation uses almost all come from the Old Testament. And so in Revelation 16, we read this. The second angel poured out his bowl into the sea, and it became like the blood of a corpse. And every living thing died that was in the sea. The third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water. And they became blood. Sounds familiar, right? It's the same idea. It's the same picture that we have in the book of Exodus. Only it's amplified. Because now it isn't just one river being turned to blood. Now it's not just the Nile. It's the ocean And all fresh water, rivers, springs, lakes, ponds. And it isn't just the fish that die. It's every living thing in the sea that dies. You see, 1,500 years after Egypt was oppressing and hurting God's people, there was a new kingdom that was doing the exact same thing. This time, the kingdom was the Roman Empire, and the Roman Empire was persecuting Christians. The Egyptians had the Christians, had the Jews as slaves, beating them with whips. Now we have the Roman Empire, who is persecuting Christians, feeding them to lions, burning them at the stake, beheading them and crucifying them. And just as Egypt depended upon the Nile River for life, so the Roman Empire depended upon the Mediterranean Sea. 
One commentator says it's important to realize that the Mediterranean Sea was the lifeblood of the Roman Empire. Not just food supplies, but trade and commerce depended on the sea lanes because Rome was in the southern boot of Italy and land trade was limited. Thus, this plague was tantamount to the destruction of all Roman civilization. In other words, God is declaring in the book of Revelation that in the last days, he will bring judgments upon the waters in order to afflict the nations that depend on them. Revelation isn't just about the Roman Empire, the Egyptian Empire. It's about this whole theme of Babylon, these these government powers that, that use their power to persecute God's people while the masses depend on the government powers and love the government powers, indeed praise the government powers. Egypt was one example. Rome was a second example. And there have been many, many more ever since then. And there are several that exist in our day. But Revelation promises that just as God judged Egypt by affecting the Nile River, so God will affect the salt waters and the fresh waters of this earth to bring trouble to these kingdoms that persecute his people. Many world leaders today are like Pharaoh of old, thinking they are sovereign and have great authority. But they don't control something as basic as water. Dear friends, have you ever considered that even just a slight change in the ocean or even just a slight change in the amount of rainfall a nation receives can bring the greatest earthly kingdom to its knees. We are not as strong as we think we are. After the waters are turned to blood in Revelation 16, the angel who did this cries out, Just are you, O Holy One, who is and who was, for you brought these judgments. They have shed the blood of the saints and the prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. It is what they deserve. Strong words. What is the prophetic message of this passage? Before the last day, before the final judgment, God will use the waters of this earth to bring judgments of warning upon the wicked kingdoms of this world. Mount Hermon, it was only a few years ago that we saw one tsunami in Indonesia kill more than 100,000 people in one day. 100,000 people wiped away by a wave in one day. Unless I am gravely mistaken, we should expect more signs like that as God warns us of a greater judgment to come. Friends, are you ready for the greater judgment to come? Are you ready to stand before this mighty God on the great day of reckoning? Because it is coming. Deep down in your soul and in your conscience, you know that a day of reckoning is coming. If there is any justice in this world, then a day of reckoning must be ahead. Are you ready for that day? Set the law of God before your eyes. Consider the Ten Commandments. How do you measure up? Friends, we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every one of us is worthy of being condemned to hell. 
We haven't just sinned. We've sinned a gazillion times. And we haven't just sinned a gazillion times. We've sinned against the Lord of heaven, Jehovah, Yahweh, the I am who I am, who is infinitely worthy of all our love and all our devotion. Here he is, pure, white as snow, holy, holy, holy. And here we are with our sins stacking up like a Mount Everest of filth. How will you fare on the last day? There is only one way of salvation. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever would believe on him would not perish but have everlasting life. Don't wait until it is too late. There are plagues happening around this world today and they are happening for one reason, to wake us up. This first plague was warning of greater plagues to come, greater plagues to come, a final judgment to come at the Red Sea. Wake up now, Egypt. Wake up now, Pharaoh. Repent now. And it's happening right now. As God brings different disasters and plagues and afflictions on this earth, think Ebola's not in his control? Think he can't take it away in a second if he wants to? Why do these things happen to say there are things much worse than physical death? Are you trusting the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you ready for the day to come when you will stand before Almighty God and give an account? Only through faith can we be saved. And can we be safe? And can we call God our loving Father? Let's pray.